Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Athletic Greens, the all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. Even with a balanced diet, it's difficult to cover all your nutritional bases. That's where Athletic Greens will help. Their daily drink is like nutritional insurance for your body that's delivered straight to your door. Athletic Greens was developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, and has been scientifically engineered to help fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. So how does all this come into play for the gravel cyclist? Well, if you're like me, you definitely have gaps in your diet. Athletic Greens has zinc, which promotes better muscle recovery and better sleep, magnesium for nervous system recovery and function, as well as better sleep, as well as red beets to improve circulation and ginger to help reduce inflammation. So I'm a daily Athletic Greens drinker at this point, and on big ride days, I might even have two servings of Athletic Greens just to make sure that I come back out of the hurt locker I've inevitably put myself in in those big weekend rides. So I encourage you to give it a try. Whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, support your immune system, or address gut health, now's the perfect time to try Athletic Greens for yourself. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash thegravelride to claim my special offer today and get a free D3K2 wellness bundle with your first purchase. That's up to a one-year supply of vitamin D added to your order. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more comprehensive nutritional bundle elsewhere. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash thegravelride. This week on the podcast, we're talking to Dave Pryor from the gravel event Unpaved out in Pennsylvania. Throughout 2020, we've seen most of the major gravel events across the country be canceled due to the global pandemic. I was quite curious when I started to hear rumblings that Unpaved was going to continue in a modified format. At first, when I saw this, I thought, wow, it's quite too early. But then after listening to Dave and some of his partners speak about why they were proceeding with the event and what they were doing, I started to understand and be optimistic that they could pull off a successful event. They were following Pennsylvania guidelines in terms of how many people could get together and obviously modified the race quite substantially in order to make sure it was as COVID safe as possible. After the event went off, Dave and I connected, and I thought it was important for other race organizers and ride organizers to get a download from Dave as to what they did, the changes they made, and how they felt the event went overall. I think there's a lot of lessons learned for event organizers and really things that as participants we should understand about what our event organizers go through. Undoubtedly, 2021 is not going to be like 2019. We're still going to have to live in this post-COVID environment. And as participants, we want to feel safe. And as race organizers, we want to feel motivated to put on all these events. So my hope is everyone can get a little bit out of this conversation and that we can get ourselves organized to have a great 2021. We've been having a little bit of this discussion in our new Slack forum called The Ridership. If you're a Slack user or you're curious, we're building a global resource for gravel and adventure cyclists. So please reach out to me for your invite today. With all that said, let's dive right into my conversation with Dave. Dave, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks, Craig. It's great to be here. Thanks for a long-time listener. So this is cool. It's actually 
rare that I get to say welcome back. And you were Actually, on wait, episode 33. You were on episode not. 33 when we were talking about, would it have been the first or the second unpaved event? That was, I think, after first, but that was my partner, Mike Kuhn. Okay, you're right. Yeah, you're that right. was Mike and Gunner. Yeah. yeah. I'm a listener, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, then welcome to the show. I apologize for that. I feel like, no I, feel like I know you because I hear your name dropped um, by Celine. Oftentimes right. on her former podcast, and I, I hope her current podcast is going well. It is going well. She's doing; they're doing great stuff. I mean, they're churning out content right now. As you know, podcasting is a is a thing, and it's really busy. And so, yeah, it's going pretty well. Yeah, and it, if I'm understanding correctly, very female focused subject matter for her mm-hmm. latest effort. So, for you women athletes out there, Celine Yeager's got a great new podcast. That's really speaking to something I think all women athletes go through, obviously, in their lives. So I encourage you to kind of check out what she's doing over there. Yep. It's hit play, not pause. And so it's and it works. It does work for everyone. The Rebecca Rush episode in particular was really great. But, yeah, there's this large group of, say, over half our population that goes through all sorts of things. And, yeah, we should talk about it more. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. So hats off to her for doing that. So Dave, I mean, you guys had just put on a few weeks back one of the few big gravel events that actually managed to go off in 2020 um, in this COVID era. So I thought it would be really interesting for us to touch base and see how that event went. Before we dive into that, why don't you just give the listener who may not know about Unpaved a little bit about the event, where it is, and uh, the history behind it. Sure. So Unpaved of the Susquehanna River Valley, this uh, is our third year. We started a few years ago. That's what three is. Um, But it feels like longer because we worked on it for a good three years before that, too. Uh, I went, you know, Mike and I, Mike Coon, partner in this, and been going to his events a long time. Then I started getting the event promotions back in 2013 with the Single Speed Cyclocross World Championship. That's a fun race to put on as your first event ever because <laughs> it's tied in with Blinky Junkyard Cross, too. We had a great weekend in Philly. Um, and that was also the year I went to Dirty Kanza, went to Rebecca's Private Idaho. And those were great times. I've been to DTR, too, a few times. And I was just coming back to Mike and just talking to him. I was like, God, it'd be great to have one of these giant gravel events that are starting to happen around the country. Like, where can we do this in Pennsylvania? And he said, I know exactly where we could do this in Pennsylvania. He went to Bucknell University, which is in this... Uh, borough of Lewisburg, right in dead center. They had just put in a nine-mile rail trail out of town that took you to the foot of the foothills of the Bald Eagle State Forest, which had tons of perfect dirt and gravel roads. Just absolutely great with big hills, which people seem to like those challenges. Uh, So a lot of things kind of came together pretty quickly. We started working with the Susquehanna River Valley Visitors Borough. Um, They saw what was happening with growl events and bringing people into regions and we started working pretty hard on it in 2000 was it now 18 was our first year and we had uh i think six eight hundred at that one uh last year we had a thousand in our big three distances and a couple hundred in our 30 miler um and our plan for this year was to go up to 1200 but then this year happened so uh we kind of went along followed the guidelines of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has done a really admirable job keeping COVID as under control as possible. Um, we certainly had giant spikes early on. We had a lot of mayhem, everything shut down, but it's been a really thorough, responsible journey 
back and then things move forward, then if it gets a little too far, then you scale back. And like, I think we've done a really good job as far as states go as keeping things as flattening the curve, I guess, is what we used to say a while ago. And I think it still applies. Um, so with that, outdoor events, they capped it at a maximum of 250 people, which basically applied to high school sports and college sports and things like that. But, it, you know, we fall under that category because there's no other real category that works for us as far as as the state goes and goodness knows they're busy with a lot of other things that yeah. dealing with gravel and running races and things like that. So we stuck with 250 and, and made that 200 people to register in the 120 mile long race because we needed about 40, 50 people set aside for staff and volunteers and marshals and things like that. Okay. So that's what we uh, put on. We announced that in July and filled that up, uh, a long story how we did that process but it worked pretty well because holy cow this community is just so yeah what's the word not generous i want to say i mean they're that too but so accommodating so flexible and as we kept throwing i kept saying like the world's throwing us a curveball so we're throwing you a slider and now we're changing this and we had so many changes that went into the event and they all kept with us and it was really really well received so that's great i mean it was it was definitely nice to see it go off and for the listener who's not familiar with Unpaved, definitely go check out the website, and I can put that in the show notes. You'll see a video that just shows how gorgeous mm-hmm. the riding is in Pennsylvania, and it's an area that I haven't been back to in a long time, but I did spend a lot of time mountain biking in that area, and it was just, it's there's so much to it. It's so gorgeous, and when the event was announced you know, three years ago, I remember thinking to myself, well, that's a no-brainer. This is definitely going to be a place where... <laughs> They can pull off an amazing event and there's such a great cycling community, you know, within 90 minutes drive of there, any direction you, you clearly are drawing from a lot of passionate East coast athletes and athletes oh, around yeah. the country to make the trip over there. Yep. There's no doubt. And it goes on in the middle of October, which is peak foliage, And we had, I think the peak foliage day this year, it would, I mean, our Instagram is unpaid Pennsylvania and it's just going to be a sea of what fall looks looks like in the northeast the photography we've got from this is just outstanding and beautiful yeah i saw some of these great pictures so then the the longest distance of the event uh remind me how long the long distance one is it is 120 miles okay and and how much and that is is around ten thousand feet of climbing ten thousand ish depending on your device yeah it's uh we got seven quality peaks in that um i know people in colorado I may not call them mountains, but then once people come here and climb them, they're like, no, yeah, they're mountains. Um, they're, yeah. It's, it's nice that as far as Pennsylvania goes, they're not the steepest things around, but they are pretty consistent and thorough. But then they lead to some of the best descending I've done on a bike. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about that East Coast area riding. It's like it's you don't have Colorado, Utah-style climbs, but they add up. Obviously, 10,000 feet mm-hmm. of climbing over 120 miles is is no joke, whether you're from the mountains right. or from from sea level. And especially when you count in 18 of that is rail trail. So it's nine miles of rail trail out, nine miles back at the finish. And so in between, we throw some climbs at you. (laughs) So obviously when COVID started to be top of mind, depending on who you are and where you are in the country, certainly within the first quarter of the year, everybody was knowing that this was a big deal. And, you know, we got the Mid-South off under our belt, but pretty much everything after that was dropping like flies and everybody was canceling events. 
I imagine at that point earlier in the year, you guys were thinking, well, gosh, we're in October. At least we don't have to make a decision now. And hopefully this will all pass through and we'll be able to go ahead as planned. At what point did you start thinking, hey, this might go not go off as planned? Um, all the way up until the Wednesday before, honestly. <laughs> um, it, yeah, you're right. We I put on another event um, similar but shorter in the Lehigh Valley called Monkey Knife Fight. And it was supposed to go off the first weekend of April. And we were hemming and hawing what to do with that. And we said, you know what, let's just cancel it. Um, and that night, the NBA shut down. I'm like, okay, I guess we called that right. And that's right after that is when everything started shutting down, shutting down. Fortunately for Unpaved, we had not opened registration yet. So we just pushed the opening of registration back to, I think, the first May and said, no reason to open this up yet. We'll see what's going to happen. Everyone has much bigger things to worry about than a gravel event. So we'll get back to you in May. In May, things weren't any better. I said, okay, let's wait till July and see if things get any better. And by July, things at least had leveled off in Pennsylvania pretty well. And there was no reason to cancel it yet as far as state guidelines went. You know, the 200 person, 250 max people was a huge limiter versus 1,200. And we can talk about the business side of that. But it became like, all right, we can do something. It's different. It's not what we had in mind. It's not going to have a festival the day before. It's not going to have a post party, probably. If those things can happen later, if the world changes and we got a vaccine, then we would open that stuff back up. But it really became, here's what we can do. So, all right, we'll do that. And if we can do more, we'll do more. But at least we can do that. And all along with all the registrants, it's like, this can be canceled at any minute. Here is the plan for refunds, deferrals. Here's the schedule for that. You know, 30 days out, then it'll be like you get half your money back or deferral. Two weeks out, no, I think up to 30 days, it was full refund or deferral. Two weeks out, it was 30, 50% off or deferral. And I forget if I forget the numbers right now. But yeah, if, a, if it was like a week before, it was like, sorry, folks, we're in this together. Yeah. So yeah, let me know. It's interesting that you mentioned before. that. Yeah. I think a lot of events that I was referring to earlier had the challenge of the fact that they had already accepted people's registration Correct. money. Correct. And yep. and presumably in a lot of cases, already spent that money on equipment mm-hmm. or what have you. And I and I know insurance talking, exactly. I talking to a, a few other event organizers, that was the real conundrum they were in, and they were looking at Absolutely. their registrants, thinking, "Well, if I give you a hundred percent refund, this event will go away in, in its entirety because I will have yep. lost ten thousand dollars, and mm-hmm. I do this not necessarily as a money making adventure." Um, but more to put back something in the community and show a love for the trails I have outside my back door. So I do imagine it gave you a lot of freedom, at least that you hadn't accepted that money. And perhaps you could, as you said, you just sort of shifted the registration date back to Mm -hmm. a point where at least you knew, okay, it's going to be a 200 person event. You could then go back to the sponsors and kind of negotiate. Well, what exactly does that mean? Because Unpaved has the benefit of, of great sponsor support, but I imagine you, you had to go back to those companies and say, look, it's not going to be the same thing. We still mm-hmm. need your support, but how mm-hmm. can we make it fair for everybody? I imagine those were really difficult conversations. They were, and they weren't at the same time. Like it was, be- It's that same sort of thing. It's like it's 200 people, but you know, if this does happen, at least it's a big relevance going to happen, and we'll get some exposure for things. And they understood that as well. And they also... 
you know, there's a few companies that did this before and Stan's is certainly one that did it for us. It's like, we committed, we committed. Like, we had those conversations before we didn't sign a contract yet, but we're in, we're in. So they knew that it was still important to keep these things going, motivation going, even with the chance of it not happening. Um, tourism, same way, salsa, Floyd's goo, like they're all like, yep, you're, you're trying, you're doing what you can and we'll do what we can with you. So that's great. Yeah. I've always been advocating to the listener that, you know, we have to approach this with a whole bunch of grace. There's going to be no perfect answer. And if we want events (laughs) to continue, we just have to roll with the punches and we have to be accommodating to those smaller event organizers who may need it to keep a roof over their heads. Like, let's look at the long game at this. Absolutely. I mean, for everyone's like, well, it's not fair. And like, you're right. It's not fair. This is a pandemic. It is absolutely not fair to anyone in any way, shape or form. It's not fair to, this com- to the events that could happen. It's definitely not fair to the events that could not happen to the grassroots ones that didn't, you know, who lost a lot of money because of all the PPE stuff that they had to buy at the last minute. Um, it's, and we're not out of this yet. So Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's one of the reasons I wanted to get this conversation recorded is that I know a lot of event organizers listen to the podcast. And if we can have some takeaways from them, just about how to approach the race and how you were successful in putting together a COVID safe race, I think it can help create a framework for 2020 that can be shared widely amongst race organizers. So hopefully we can have more of these events even if they have to be small. So you had mentioned you sort of shifted gears and what was going to be a 1,200-person event was now going to be 200 athletes and 50 volunteers to adhere to local guidelines. I remember when you announced that, and I, to be honest, Dave, I had mixed feelings because you know we, in yeah. California, we've been in a lockdown situation and I had the privilege of listening to Celine talk about it over a couple episodes of the podcast and it was nice. And I, I actually found myself warmed to the idea and obviously I've been wish, wishing for success the whole time, but I came to appreciate the types of changes you were making for the event to make it COVID safe. And maybe it would be a good time to just sort of talk about what the day looked like for athletes and the types of rules that you enforced to try to make sure everybody could safely participate in the event and have a great day and a great experience. Sure. I mean, well, one big thing is, you know, 200 people is a lot different from 1,000 to 1,200 people. So you are able to do a lot more, quote unquote, handholding, a lot more, you know, one-on-one customer service and making some slight accommodations for people versus when it's a tons of people and you're getting all those emails and phone calls right before and you're fried and you're like, sorry, it's, this is what I said. I said Saturday check-in, it must be Saturday check-in. This time it's like, okay, it's Saturday check-in, but if you need to come in Sunday morning, we'll figure it out. Just be patient with us. And people were because they're also so anxious to do an event. So I think they were a little more accommodating. Um, so we did try and spread things out as much as possible. We, Saturday check-in is something we've always had. We've also we've had a big festival and parties around that and reasons to go out at night in Lewisburg. Those things were cut back, but we still had of the 200 people. We had 150 people show up on Saturday. Like they were still happy to like come in and like get their things done, so they didn't have to worry about it and stand in line early Sunday morning in a tight line. They definitely took that seriously. Masks were mandatory everywhere. You're talking to anyone wear a mask, if, except when you're riding a bike. Once you got to the start you could take your mask off and ride your bike. But once you pull into an aid station, it's back to masks up unless you're actually eating something at the time. All our volunteers were wearing masks. There's hand sanitizer everywhere. Did the temperature check. 
in the morning uh, COVID questionnaire. Uh, we One thing that I think will kind of sick them, at least the volunteers at the aid station said, so instead of like water coolers where everyone would go up and like press the water dispenser with their water bottle underneath it, we were planning on having the volunteer do the pressing of the water dispenser with the rider holding their bottle and the, you don't touch those two things. But we did get pitchers of water. I saw that at uh, the Quick and Dead event. The volunteers had pitchers of water, and that worked so much faster. Like, that was a yep. really efficient way of doing things. A big thing we changed this year that I think we're going to stick with is segment timing instead of start-finish timing. We did it so that people would relax in the aid stations and not rush and not skip a protocol and not be anxious and do that sort of thing. And people really liked that opportunity to relax in an aid station, to get their stuff together, not forget to eat. You know, we did pretty heavy drop bag service. So they had their own stuff. And I think we're going to keep with that because it also relaxes pace on some of the roads. You know, there are some paved roads in between that have more cars on them. So that's not a race segment. The rail trail is not a race segment, which has kind of been an issue just because there's it's Sunday morning and the Amish are going to church on the rail trail too. So it's not great having racers mixed with Amish kids riding their bikes on the rail trail. So a couple of questions. It's been cute, in, but yeah. A couple of questions in there. So um, one, as it came up on a, another podcast, so rider bags, were you, are these drop bags where a rider yeah. sort of filled it with their own nutrition and, and you told them it'll be at mile 50 or whatever it was going to be at? Yep. So they, all riders got two bags and they were going to be at two different spots that you went by twice on the 120. Um, there's a mile, I'll just ballpark 30. And then you'd also hit that same spot again at mile 90. And then the other one was like 50 and you hit it again. Uh, oops, at 80, whatever those numbers were. Um, so we did that. It, we can't do it like dirty, sorry, DK, um, whatever the name will be called next where people drive out and become their support people because we'd have too many cars on the same roads that people are biking on. So we had the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. They actually did the volunteering for that, and they shuttled the drop bags. And does that mean that you did not have, other than water, neutral nutrition out there? We did have neutral nutrition. Okay. You Energy sent, and Floyd sent a bunch of energy um, stuff and we did supplement it with some basic snacks from the local grocery stores just to make sure there was potato chips and things like that some but everything was pre-packaged we didn't have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches we didn't have last year we had pierogies and bacon and meatballs and you know nitty mountain works did a whole spread out on course and so we limited all of that there's no espresso stop this time but right um yeah i wanted to unpack that a little bit because i think the idea of drop bags is something that's popular in the sport of triathlon, for example. And it's interesting to, to just get perspective on, you know, obviously there's the logistical challenge of transporting all those bags and organizing mm -hmm. them in such a way that whenever, whatever athlete, you know, from one to a thousand comes through, can find their bag and pick it out. It's a little less of a problem with 200. Um, but logistically, yeah. did that work out okay for you? It seemed to for 200. Um, we've done it the system we use is what we picked up from Transylvania Mountain Bike Epic, which Mike Coon started. And then I helped run the last few of those before we sold it off to another group who's running it now. But what it is, is your reusable grocery bag. Okay. And you get that at the start with your number written on it. And that's what you bring back is what you want as your drop bag. So we use it as our swag bag. When you sign in, all your swag from the sponsors is in there. 
And then the next morning you bring it filled with the stuff that you want at the aid station. And it's numbered. So then when they get to the aid station, they're laid out in numerical order. And you go from there. Um, what we set up this time is go through it. When you're done with it the first time, put it back and then go do that next section of the ride and then come back. And then the second time you're through with it, move it to the other side to get transported back to the finish. Okay. Yeah. And that, it actually creates, a, I've participated in a number of events with drop bags and it actually does create this great opportunity. You know, if it's really cold at the start, you can mm-hmm. ride it in your vest and arm warmers, you can drop them in your drop bag. You can also, you know, get that one specific item that you crave on a long ride and know it's going to be there. So I think it's a rather interesting solution that potentially we'll see more of in this kind of COVID era. Well, yeah, I think what we're going to learn from this is people this year have had to learn how to figure out their own day for the most part, whether it's a virtual challenge or whether they're just doing something on their own. Like I, I did my own 95 mile ride just to go do what I could do and how much food could I pack and that sort of thing and where I could get water. And I think a lot more people are figuring out how to figure out their own day and they don't need an event to say, here's the course, here's where the water stops are and here's the food I'm going to give you because they've had to be self-sufficient this year. So how can we apply that to gravel events? And I think drop bags are a decent way of doing that. So they know I like this sort of stuff. I, like you said, with jackets, you know, our start is typically fairly cold in the morning. If you were to do a 120 mile ride in the middle of October in Pennsylvania, you're probably going to start with a coat or at least a pretty good jacket. But after that first climb, you probably don't want it for a while. So you stick it away at mile, what was it, 27? And you can pick it back up again at mile 97 because it's that point much it's cooler again and you've got a big descent to get back down into Mifflinburg and then you can there's your jacket waiting for you. So I think these things can happen. It will be interesting to see how we pull off for a thousand, but that's next year's problem. <laughs> yeah. It's it's definitely doable. And I think again, the advantages are there. I mean, you do see, you know, an event like DK where you do have aid stations with uh you know self-supported teams Mm -hmm. there where you're coming in and you can grab the lighting system you don't need for the first 12 hours of of your day yeah Yeah. no i had all sorts of things in the van for that it was great um so yeah a little less than that yeah i imagine the the sort of big tough thing for you guys was you know, Unpaved, I imagine, had a lot of community events, that sort of mm-hmm. post-race meal and beer where everybody can just share their stories from the day. How did you handle that? And how did you feel kind of emotionally, if you can represent the emotional quotient <laughs> of the riders, that, that maybe those are changed pretty dramatically? Um, yeah, we handled it by not having it at all. And just just there was none of that. Because um, we what we call is the done paved party afterwards with beer flowing from a local brewer and um where we had the event as another change we made where we started the event the first two years was this miller recreation center which is a giant gym facility that every community should have you know 12 basketball courts and all the equipment you'd ever want need and classes and all that sort of stuff and they just let us use their courtyard which is at the on the start of the rail trail and their kitchen made amazing food and there's coffee and then we'd bring a brewery with beer and we just used their whole courtyard and had a great party. When I, the first place I went to when restrictions lifted in Pennsylvania, we could travel outside of our counties was up there. And as I was going into the Miller center, just to like look around and see how I felt about it, I saw this really cute old couple walking in to go to the gym for the day. I'm like, no, we can't use this place. Like we can't, 
the possibility of bringing something into another community just was nope that's out it's impossible outdoor stuff is okay but we we can't be in their facility and so that was kind of heartbreaking having that conversation with them and people loved having that sort of stuff but it's this year and we just made adjustments and said that you're gonna get a whoopie pie at the finish in a maybe a slap on the back with my glove on with our masks up and tell you where you can go in town to get a bite to eat and something to drink and we'll try it again next year and for the most part people not for the most part everyone understood that and for the most part people are still happy with having a big ride in what i've been saying is it was disappointing not to have the festival and not to have the post party but man our course did not disappoint that day it was spectacular so people were really happy at the end of their bike ride and then they managed from there i'm sure i mean just the pent-up demand and desire for athletes to be doing something anything i'm sure was so huge by that time <laughs> in october that uh you know it was just a, a release of joyful energy on the course yeah and we pennsylvania we've had a few not a few we've had a number of events happening since i would say july uh mountain bike races you know spread out or a time trial system and a few other small gravel events in the 200 range 250 range and so just being in touch with all of them there hadn't been any COVID outbreaks related to the events. Um, and then as of still, you know, it's three weeks now, there haven't been any positives or two weeks. There haven't been any positives that come from the event that anyone's told me about. And I've asked a couple of times, like to all the riders, please let me know. I'm just trying to do tracing and letting other riders know. And I volunteered works at a university. So he went and got tested immediately afterwards just to be sure. And he's negative. So, it seems like outdoor events can happen in some shape, way, and form. So we should continue to do them because they do help keep people going through all of this. Yeah, I'm thankful we have a number of test cases out there between Unpaved and uh, BWR in Utah. Mm -hmm. like th these will be good markers for us all to look at and learn from. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. It's in, at least from our experience, it's doable. So you mentioned one thing I wanted to come back to, Dave, was the idea of doing segment-based racing. Obviously, we've got mm -hmm. events like Grinduro that sort of started out yeah. in that format. I'm curious from your perspective, you know, it's all well and good and, and totally fine for a mid-packer like myself. I could sort of totally get behind that and really couldn't care less either well, way. Same. But yeah. how do you feel? How do you, did you get any sense for, would the front end of the pack, the guys and girls who are racing for the win, do they feel the same type of experience as, oh, I'm racing 120 miles? It's a really interesting question because we had two very different experiences. Our men's winner, Ben Wright, who's youngster out of Virginia, I think he's in his early mid-20s, he just went. like He just treated it as a race, and he finished like first in the 120 men and had the fastest times on all the segments. So we had 30 miles of segment timing on our 120-mile course. Note, I would like that to be more mileage if we continue with this. And sorry to interrupt, Dave, because I was going to ask you about that, because there is that interesting thing. Grindura, I think the sections were were smaller than that, maybe. I could have my 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 memory wrong on that. I, and I have not looked at what theirs have done. And we have another one here, Keystone Gravel. It's been doing segment racing. I think this is their fifth or sixth year of that event. And they've always done it. And that's not one of the reasons we didn't, because it's a similar... You know, it's a month before us. They do that. We're going to do something else. You know, just trying to keep events different. Yeah, there's, there's so many ways you could do that. Yeah, there is a sense that it's a 120 mile day, a five six hour day, whatever it turns out to be. That you know, 
I don't know what the right number is, but it seems like there's got to be a good enough number of segments that hopefully the the strongest athlete for Mm -hmm. both the technique of each individual section, which obviously comes into play if you're designing them correctly, but also just having the strength and, and fortitude to race that extremely long day. It's it's interesting with segment-based racing to try to find that balance. Right, because it's very easy to make it a hill challenge, and especially with our course because we had we have so many hills. And what what we did is we worked with our timers, like, all right, what basically can we afford to do with 200 people? And it's like, let's do four segments instead of six to seven because that just made it affordable. So that helped kind of limit that sort of thing. One thing with our course, we have this 30-mile section called the difference, which is typically we have a 90-mile um, element of our course you can do instead of the 120 miles. And that 30 miles is a loop from one aid station back to that aid station. It's got four climbs. It's got the gnarliest section of quote unquote road on our course. It's funny that for 120 miles, everyone talks about four miles of it called Longwell draft. It's just a very chunky Jeep road descent that drives people insane. Uh, we always put one of our best mechanics from the Dutch wheelman, Pete Hall, at the bottom of it because he's <laughs> saved. He saved our men's winner the first year because his derailleur was up in his spokes and he fixed it. And the guy ended up, Matt Carbo ended up still winning. The next year, Matt Carbo broke his wheel on the descent and Pete got him rolling again, at least got him to the finish. Um, and this year, he single speeded someone's GRX and got him to the finish. So we knew that had to be a segment, but we made it 20 miles instead of 30 just because there's still some. We have really fast ascending with a couple corners, and I didn't want people to think, all right, this is my one moment to race and yeah. then overcook a corner. Because we had people overcook corners the first two years, and you know, that's where we have an ambulance set up because you need to. But this year, we had none of that because we turned those massive descent sections off, and we had two Band-Aids administered the entire course. <laughs> that's a good so let me tell you, as a vent promoter, yeah, turning off the descents is a thing. Now, would I want like it be longer segments? Of course, but safety first. So yeah, it's real. I think it's there's going to be a real artistry to creating segment based events where you know you give the cr- climbers an opportunity, you give the flatlanders, and you give the real technical riders an opportunity, all right. to kind of factor into. Let's find the most talented athlete of the day. Yeah, at Transylvania Epic, we had we had enduro racing for that as well as the thing, but we also had a segment called East Coast Rocks. Because not all the trails were downhill enduro segments. They were some of the, you know, they're light climbs or just flat across Tussie Ridge. And it's, I think, four or six miles across this ridge. It's really technical. And it doesn't count as an enduro. Enduro racers would be pissed off. We made that a segment of their race. We said, all right, it's an East Coast Rock segment. So we made a different competition for that. And I think with technology, you can do these things. And it can't be from Strava. Like, I'm sorry, I love you, Strava. But that doesn't work for this sort of thing because they aren't really dialed well for how the event should be set up and you creating a new segments of pain. And then it doesn't match what this other one has and yada, yada, yada. So, so we, we had, to, we went with legit timing. Okay. So that's chips. what I was just going to ask. So you, you had timing chips and you had a, a timing system that could accommodate those, you know, crossing yep. that, those areas. Yep. So I had interrupted you. You, you were talking about the men's right. winner who was kind of, you know, from, from beginning to end, he just hammered the whole thing. And it, he was not only the first man across the line, but he was the fastest cumulative with those segments. Did the women's winner have a different strategy? They had a very different strategy. So I noticed when I was going through Reg that three of the women in it 
had finished on the podium before. Um, Kelly Catali, who had won the year before 2019. Um, Haley Wickstrom, who finished, I think, second or third, I forget which, uh, the year before. And Vicki Barkley, who also finished second or third in our first year. And there were only returners um, from podium. None of our men's were, men were coming back. So I gave them all numbers one, two, and three. And tip, we were going to do a time trial start at the beginning to kind of still treat it as a race and give them some special treatment. We're going to have an Amish auctioneer send people off like, hey, Dalton, come on out, and send them off in 30-second segments. But because it's 2020, a hurricane remnant was coming up the coast. It was a threatening of severe rain and thunderstorms. And like, all right, just start when you want in the morning. If you want to try and beat the rain, start at 7.30 a.m. If you the forecast changes and you like to start a little later because it's warmer, you can start at 9 or anywhere in between. They decided, they contacted each other. It's like, why don't we just ride together? Let's spend the whole day, the three of us riding together. And they had a best time. They rode out the rail trail, just chatting about their year. They got to the first segment and raced up. And uh, I think Haley won that first segment. And then they regrouped and they talked at the aid station right afterwards. And they got their stuff and they rode over to the second aid station. At some, at some point they had a picnic, I think, too. And <laughs> they just... Then they went out and then they got to the start of the next segment and then they raced each other. And then at the end of that segment, they regrouped and waited for each other and rode to the next segment together. And they had the best day. Uh, Kelly Catali's blog post on it is abs. Uh, I missed it up. It was so great about how the day went for her and them. I that that sold me on it. I was like, if she was super nervous about that whole idea and about not doing a start finish time thing said it was like one of the best race days she's ever had. I, I think there's a thing for segment racing. I think it's I think it's real. I think the front end will be happy with it too. Interesting. But as you did note, just for the other race organizers and event promoters out there, there is the sort of logistic of getting making sure obviously A, you're running with timing chips, which maybe is a no brainer for, for most of the big events. But well, but B depends but, on the size. But B, you know, having those sensors at the right points that they're calculating the segments out there on the course. Yeah. And it, but I think that kind of depends on the size of the event too. Like we're trying to be one of the bigger ones. And so we're going to invest in that timing thing. I Keystone gravel is a fantastic event that happens a month before ours. And it's a guy puts it on and is a party at his farm. And we always spend the day riding our bikes and we empty our tanks out on his course. And we refill them back on his farm, having barbecue and beer. He does it on Strava. That works totally fine too. Everyone's having a good day. And that's what it is. It's all about the day. So it depends what your wherewithal is, what kind of investment you want to put into it, and what you want those results to be. So it, both will work. You do hope that as more as we as more time passes, more infrastructure will get created around these things that can make events safer. If that's if we need to mm -hmm. keep being locked down in 2021, I got to imagine whether it's Strava, other companies, and across the board, all the things that you need as an event organizer. Hopefully, you've got partners who are stepping up and creating the systems and products that you need for a safe event. Yeah, and especially when you have to spend money on a lot more sanitizers and masks and all that other stuff, you know, more port-a-johns at events and things like that. So, Yeah, are there any other sort of weird things that sort of came up? You just referenced like creating more porta-potties, which I guess makes sense, right? Give give less traffic <laughs> to any given area. Yeah, it's spreading. Now, fortunately, I mean, we had budgeted for a lot more for 1,200. Our forestry is really kind of adamant about not being in the, on the side of the road. So we 
we had a large segment of our budget set aside for Porter Johns anyway, but it was still like spread them out further. You know, I know I've been to events where they're kind of back to back, so you can have lines on other sides and things like that. And that just requires more space. Fortunately, we have that sort of space where we set up our two major aid stations. So that wasn't too big of a restriction. Um, other things, it's all a blur now. Yeah, I know you you mentioned, obviously, you put hand sanitizer stations and yeah. volunteers and, and, and athletes were required to wear masks while interacting. That all makes sense. Did you do anything like sort of digital, put your um, pre-race speech online or anything like that to kind of limit the need yes. for people to get together? Yeah, we before we've done them in the local theater, which is beautiful and sweet and all the wonderful things you want with gravel events. Um, but yeah, this year we, what I said, we was going to do them hourly on Saturday and we'd had really small ones. So like one point it was like one-on-one. I'm like, Oh, you're the person here at three o'clock. All right. We will uh, talk to you about this event. Give me your questions. Uh, but we, the Friday night, Mike and I did a Facebook live on our, on the unpaved Facebook page. And that worked really well. Cause we got a lot of questions and that been fun ones too. Like it was some fun interaction. It kind of kept things light and lively. So yeah, using those digital tools. Yeah, uh, I we did of... not do a digital waiver. Um, we, we were thinking about it, but then it just became we're spread out enough time, and there's only 200 versus 2,000 trying to do it. So, gotcha. Do that. Yeah, I have to wonder if sort of all this collective experience of us all with Zoom calls and video conferences, if there are not some valuable things that can be used in future mm-hmm. events to build community prior to the event. Um, maybe there'll be some nice things that come out of this. Build community and then also the logistics. One thing I've been saying is like, I know no one reads the emails and the registration page and the waiver because I know the questions I get. Everyone needs to read the registration page before you sign up, read the waiver that you're clicking on, and then read the emails because things are going to change constantly. Over the next year or two, it's going to be constant change for events. We're going to be jumping through hoops and we're going to be throwing things at you. So you need to be alert and aware of everything that's going on. I, we, I kept telling people, we had people sign up from all over the country. I was like, I'm sorry, but right now you're on the list of Pennsylvania's quarantine for two weeks before you interact with the public. Are you willing to do that for unpaved? If not, I will defer you or give you a refund. And people got it. It's like, cause they're not looking at that ahead of time, but we need to. So just flexibility, but then read all that stuff. Because the waivers are changing. One of the things you mentioned in our email conversation, if I'm not mistaken, was a fun photo experience you had at the end that maybe was different than you had in previous years. Yeah, we um, <laughs> because we weren't going to have a post party, we also turned off the idea of having podiums. And in part because, I mean, I've gone to plenty of events and I know it can be a while before you get official timing on things. Fortunately for gravel and fortunately for unpaved, we haven't had those sort of delays on results but I knew that segment racing would could cause that sort of thing. We, and we did not have that problem. And I was getting messages immediately. Like that person just crossed the finish line a half mile away. We did have a timing thing for when they started and finished just to keep track of people out there. Um, they'll be here in a second and they have the fastest time so far. So I was able to, I was, I was about to say grab them. I was able to, once we got their timing chip and gave them their whoopie pie, said, Hey, you currently have our fastest time. Let's take your picture at the podium now in case you are our winner. Um, which worked really well for our first place because he won. He was the first 120 miler in, took his photo, and then, well, that's the only one we really needed to take. We took a few others just in case. Um, so that helped. And then people could go on with their day. I mean, I've, 
I know the fast people. I married a fast person. <laughs> Waiting around for podiums can take a while. Like, yes. <laughs> my my only goal when I did events is to finish in time for podiums so I could take her photo. Uh, <laughs> and Fortin's like, oh, that that's going to take forever for them to do results. I can have another beer. Uh, so I know it can take a while and it can be frustrating for the elite athletes to, they want to head home and that sort of thing. And if we had made Ben stick around, he would have had to stick around for, I don't know, until nine o'clock for a podium photo with segment time. You don't know who's out there. You don't know who started at 9 a.m. and stayed at the aid stations for an hour or two each because took a nap between segments. You wouldn't know these things. And so I think that helped with segment timing too, segment racing too. It's just a have those things on the side and then you can do those announcements and stuff later. You don't necessarily need to do them that night. Yeah. But that's also me as a non racer. So I should check back with my fast wife and see how she would feel about if that was her. (laughs) Well, this has been great, Dave. I appreciate all the information and, you know, I know the gravel cycling event community is tight knit and there's been great communication over the last few years between people because we're all trying to make these things better. So I appreciate you coming on board and just putting out there some of the things that you guys were able to achieve with Unpaved in the year 2020. And hopefully for those event organizers listening and even for future participants, we all just have a little bit more knowledge and a little bit more correct expectations about the, what the future will hold. Well, thanks. And I'm, I should also send a big thank you to all the event organizers who I talked to over the year who did not have events that happened. Uh, Rebecca, you know, everyone at DK and a Lifetime crew, there's so many people. We just like started bouncing ideas off of left, right and center, what we can do, what we couldn't do. And I was really fortunate to be in Pennsylvania and that the state handled things really well and our government handled things really well. So that was what we had going for us versus a lot of other places. So I'm very thankful for all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again, Dave. Thank you, Craig. Appreciate it. Big thanks to Dave for joining us this week and telling us all about how unpaved 2020 went down in Pennsylvania. I sure am jealous of all the riding that they have in that neck of the woods and hope to get over there someday. And I'm grateful that Dave has decided to share what they went through because hopefully other organizers will get a little bit to add to their playbooks in 2021 so we can start seeing some of these great events come back on the calendar and have confidence that it's the right thing to do for all of our communities. I also wanted to add a huge thank you to everybody who's been joining the Gravel Ride podcast membership program. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride for details. We've got a number of members only perks in place, including a discount on the new gravel ride podcast Jersey, which pre-orders are ending today. So ping me immediately. If you're interested in that product, as always, I welcome your feedback. You can hit me up directly at Craig at the gravel ride or come join the ridership on Slack. You can ping me directly for an invite to that platform or hit me up on Facebook or one of the social media channels. We've got a lot of vibrant conversations from all over the world starting there. And we're hoping to create this global searchable database of information for gravel and adventure cyclists. So we welcome your inputs over there. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. (laughs) 